The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. So this could quite possibly be the final play of the game. Cody Latimer still in as one of the deep safeties for Indiana. Caught the tight end. Fedorowicz has it, just simply throws it up for grabs, and it's recovered by Indiana. The Hoosiers have done it for a second consecutive week. Who better to come up with a loose football to end it than the captain, Adam Replogle, securing the win for Kevin Wilson and the Indiana Hoosiers. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our first of two weekly reporters' notebook segments in this podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' road loss at Indiana. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten coaches call. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Marv Cook and Brent Balbonade, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast, as well as Brent Balbonade's Press Box reports. The Iowa-Indiana game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Eric Collins and Derek Radley, who did a great job on Saturday. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Here's some of what he had to say about Purdue, Cavante Martin-Manley, Christian Kirksey, and the attitude of his team amidst a three-game losing streak. They've got a lot of good players. You know, if you start on the offensive side, they've got some very, very explosive football players at receiver and the running back spot. So they've got a lot of big play capability, and that's uh, that's certainly showing up. You know, they've got three veteran guys up front with the offensive line and very, very, very multiple, not only their personnel, but also formations. So you really have to be uh, be sharp mentally. And on, on the defensive side, they're uh, they're a very big physical team, especially up front. Uh, I don't know if we've played anybody as big as these guys, including their the fifth defender on the line, the outside linebacker. He's he's a big physical guy too. So they've got uh, really good size there. Their corners are, are very they're veteran, you know, very very athletic, very talented players, and done a good job there. And then on special teams, uh, it's kind of the same thing when they have both their kick return guys. I don't know if there's a better better duo. Uh, one of them's been out for a couple of weeks, but two two guys that can take the distance there too. So I think, you know, just kind of in a nutshell, they're, they're a team that can hurt you fast in a multitude of ways, offensively, defensively, and special teams. Camonte is a uh, tremendous young guy with a great work ethic, and we redshirted him two years ago. Did a nice job moving along last year as our third receiver, and uh, just continues to, to improve. So it's uh, he's got a great attitude first and foremost. Just a tremendous young guy, and really has great work habits, and uh, not only during the season but out of season as well. He's just totally committed to, to being a good football player, and been fun to watch him grow and develop. And certainly uh, excited about the way he played this past Saturday and uh, the way he's played all season long. 
It's a little bit like Avante, uh, although Christian played more last year. Christian's first year was last year, you know, actually starting every game. And but like Avante, and that they're they're both the same kind of person. You know, they just uh, have great attitudes, great work ethics, and you know, care about the team. They care about uh, playing uh, well. They take a lot of pride in what they do. And you know, so, so I think we've you know seen him improve with each week as well. Certainly, has made some big plays. He had a pick early in the season for a touchdown, and Saturday had the pick and also a fumble recovery. So he's he's working hard, and just a guy that brings a great attitude to our team. Very very positive guy. Well, last time I saw him, it was good. You know, they're, they're, nobody likes losing. Uh, certainly, nobody does. I mean, I don't know who who would. And, and the players probably are at the top of that list. So, you know, we, we have three games left, and but I think you know we've got a good group of guys. They're high character guys that are totally invested and expect to have a good week of practice this week, and hopefully a good game Saturday. We're gonna need that because uh, we're playing a team that's I'm sure gonna be thinking the same things. Taking a quick look back at last weekend, in a storm-delayed game, Iowa stumbled to its third straight loss and fell below 500 for the first time since 2007. While the Hawkeyes played a bit better against Indiana in Bloomington, it was not enough in any phase of the game. The defense gave up too many big plays, and the offense could only score 14 points against one of the worst defenses in the nation. The prospects for gaining bowl eligibility now seem remote. Linebacker Christian Kirksey was the star of the game, getting a pick six to give Iowa an early 14-point lead and recovering a fumble deep in Iowa territory to stifle another IU scoring drive. Fellow linebacker Anthony Hitchens notched 14 tackles. That's his sixth double-digit tackle game of the year. Wide receiver Cavante Martin-Manley had another nice day, seven catches for a career-high 131 yards plus a touchdown, and that's back-to-back games for him with seven catches each. Running back Damon Bullock, who started, accumulated 107 all-purpose yards, 83 on the ground, including a touchdown, and he caught three passes for 24 yards. Key stats include Iowa with 17 first downs compared to Indiana's 24. The Hawkeyes had 249 yards passing, but IU racked up 406. And for the third week in a row, the opponent put up eye-popping total offensive yards. The Hoosiers had 473 to Iowa's 345. Plus, IU ran 79 offensive plays compared to 64 for the Hawks. Iowa had a very slight advantage in possession time, but Indiana demonstrated once again this season just how fast they can score. And the Hawkeyes continued to struggle on third down conversions. They were just 5 of 14 and were only 1 of 2 in the red zone. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Indiana game and more. Steve, another frustrating day for Hawkeyes fans and team. I was now below 500 for the first time since 2007 and the first time in November since 2000. They're on a three-game losing streak. First time in the Big Ten since 2010. And IU stopped a four-game losing streak to the Hawkeyes. It's hard right now, the way this team is playing, especially on offense, to figure out how they're ever going to get the three more wins they need for bowl eligibility. Yeah, I, I, I thought uh, Steve uh, Steve. 
Big Egg kind of summed it up pretty well following the game when he said that they, they got what they deserved on Saturday. And it, it was a, a pretty disjointed performance on, on both sides of the ball at times. And, uh, you know, as Kirk Ferentz alluded to in his postgame, uh, you know, there's still an awful lot of work to do. And, and uh, in, in a conference where, you know, winning and losing is, is certainly, it's out there for, for any team on a given week. And, and Iowa simply has not played well enough the last three weeks to, to show any signs that it's it's going to be able to, to string anything together at the end. If you look at sort of the whole picture of the columns that have been written and the actual game uh, news stories and so forth, one theme is increasingly coming through on those, and that is that this Iowa team lacks talent, depth, and speed on both offense and defense. Other than that, I think they've got the world by the tail, but no, it, it's it's a, uh, you know, it, it is a team that has, has been extremely inconsistent from the start of the season, and, and uh, you know, that is a byproduct of, of all of those things, and it, it's one of those situations Situations that you know, some of it's not going to be cleared up until until you know new new bodies are brought in in, in, in future recruiting classes. But, you know, Greg Davis provided us with a few hints of that in the spring when he talked about the lack of speed in the receiving court, and uh, you know it extends a little bit beyond there. This is this is not a team that's going to suit up and, and win many track meets, and, and unfortunately, football has become uh, you know a much faster game in recent years, and and right now Iowa simply doesn't have the thoroughbreds that you need to compete at that level. That's complicated by the fact that the numbers I've seen, they lost essentially 43% of their entire recruiting classes 2008, 2009, and 2010. Yeah, and I think some of that is the nature of the beast to the game today, and Iowa certainly isn't the only program that just lost players or had players go to other programs at different levels or even at the same level, and I think attrition is becoming more common. I think if kids don't get a, get that immediate satisfaction of seeing time on the field. I think they're they're much more likely to bolt for for greener pastures where wherever they may be, and and um, you know that that certainly impacts a developmental situation like Iowa has, and and uh, you know it, right now that's it, kind of come back to to kind of bite them a little bit just in terms of the fact that they don't have a lot of upper class experience, and and you know somebody pointed out last week, well they certainly have a lot of juniors and seniors on the field, but you know a lot of those guys are seeing really the first significant time of their career, and, and uh, you know, that's what this is an inconsistency. That's no different than throwing a freshman out there or a sophomore out there. It, it's uh, A lot of times those guys aren't quite ready to compete at the level they need to compete at from one snap to the next over the course of a, of a 60-minute game. The game started off Saturday on a largely positive note for Iowa. The, both the offense and the defense started fast. Vandenberg looked to be playing better than he has been. They took that early first quarter lead, and then 12 seconds later, Kirksey had his pick six. Iowa was up 14 zip. And then, then the rest of the game happened, where outside of the one other touchdown drive, when Bullock got the TD, the offense sputtered and was inconsistent, only seven points in the last three quarters. And that's against the worst Big Ten defense going into that game, ranked 95th in the FBS, giving up an average of over 438 yards a game and more than 22 first downs a game. Yeah, yeah you had to wonder going into into the afternoon how Iowa would re- I would respond how Indiana would respond, frankly, to, to the delay at the start. Uh, everything started about an hour late because of the, uh, the weather, uh, which was far from perfect. And, uh, and really some, some sloppy play on the, on the first couple of drives by Iowa. Uh, some penalties, some false start penalties, that kind of thing that uh, uh, maybe uh, some ominous signs there that, uh, uh, you know, got ma- 
masked a little bit by the uh, by the nice touchdown drive that Iowa did have, and then and then the uh, you know the the solid play of Kirksey uh, to, to pick off his second pass for uh, and return it for a score uh, this season. It's kind of some fool's gold because Indiana has has been a team that uh, has has uh, been able to put a lot of points on the board, and and uh, Iowa was going to have to score some points Saturday to to be able to be successful. And uh, you know again many of the issues that we we've, we've seen from one week to the next, uh, uh, you know, an inability to kind of complete that short to intermediate type pass, uh, uh, inability to kind of create enough separation to, to get yards after the catch, and, and, you know, that type of thing uh, kind of came back to bite the Hawkeyes, and, and it, it, it's, been a, it's been a recurring theme the last few weeks, and, and it certainly uh, didn't change on Saturday against an Indiana defense, that, as you alluded to, is, has been anything but, uh, you know, a brick wall, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, that they were coming off of a very poor performance, at least from their perspective, at Illinois on sa- the previous Saturday in a 31-17 to win that coaches on both sides of the ball were complaining that really the execution that they saw from the Hoosiers was, was about as poor as they'd seen in several weeks. And I think that caught the attention of the team. And, and they certainly showed up with plenty of energy and, and, you know, maybe a little greater attention to detail. Um, in the end, it's a pretty young football team and, and as well. and But they had some extremely experienced anchors in the middle of that defensive line in, in uh, Rapogel and, and, and Black, and those two guys played that way and, and, and they made things difficult on Iowa defensively for, right from the start. To look at these numbers from a slightly different perspective, IU came into that game giving up an average of 515 yards per game in its four Big Ten contests. Iowa was able to only get 345, and in fact that's just the second fewest yards surrendered by an Indiana defense all season, but the two touchdown drives that Iowa had showed that they can put together good drives. Both of them were balanced. They featured some vertical passing, and they had yards after catch, much of which we haven't seen all season. Yeah, some growth every day, you know, and then the one thing that we have seen is the 5 of 14 conversion rate on third down, and, and so, yeah, there were there were two very good touchdown drives that, you know, showed potential, and it also showed one of the reasons why Indiana has given up the kind of yards and, and numbers of, of points that it's, it's a allowed this season, too. Uh, I think probably a combination of factors there, but uh, it was, again, a, you know, an issue with, in my mind that, that the third down plays just were not were not something that Iowa was able to kind of move the chains on, at least consistently enough to, to make uh, make enough progress to, to put themselves in a competitive situation. You, you've got to score more than two touchdowns when you're playing a defense like that, and, and that certainly was something Iowa did not accomplish. Well, your point about third down conversions is really an excellent one that continues to be a problem they were only 5 of 14 against Indiana, plus the Hawkeyes had five three-and-outs. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, something that we've seen the last few weeks, um, and, and that just has not improved. And, and some of that has to do with, with injuries. I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, that arguably the, the Hawkeyes are right now without their two best blockers in, in, in Sheriff and, and Brad Rogers, it, it certainly impacted Iowa's game plan and, and their ability to move the football, and especially on the ground. And, and you know, while Damon Bullock had a, had another solid performance, uh, uh, you know, it certainly wasn't what it probably could have been if if you know ifs and buts. But uh, if Iowa would have been uh, at full health. Let's back up a minute and talk about the coordinators. There's been a criticism over the years of Ferentz and his staff that they, by golly, have a scheme and a system, and regardless of the talent, they're going to run that. As opposed to some coaches who seem to recognize that based on the talent they have, they have to make adjustments in their 
their schemes. It looks like Greg Davis is sticking with his perimeter passing approach come hell or high water, even though he's got a quarterback and frankly some receivers who are probably more suited uh, to a more of a diverse and even somewhat vertical attack. Does it seem that way to you? Yeah, I think to a degree. And I, I think, but I think it's also natural. I, I think that uh, coaches, I think, have a tendency in general to, to stick with what they know and, and what they want their offense to become. And I, I think what we may be seeing here is 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 Greg sending you know his offense in the direction of the of the personnel that that is there, uh, but also uh, with an eye toward the future in in what he wants them to be able to accomplish. And, and this is establishing a base of sorts this year, and then building off of it. Um, are they executing it at a high level? Absolutely not right now. And, and you know that frustrates everybody. It frustrates everybody from from Vandenberg to to uh, uh, you know the the guys blocking, the guys running, the guys catching. It frustrates the coaches. I mean, it, it, it's not like they're going out there trying, you know, to uh, you know to, to put the straight outs on the board. And it's a growth process. And, and there, this is uh, something that you know we've seen all season long. And I, I think you know Greg's reputation is is that he has he's been willing to kind of bend to the talent that he has to work with. And um, you know, I think they're looking for for places to go and places to find strengths. But I, I just don't think right now that he's seeing you know, the strength there to, to make the kind of plays that uh, you, you need to make to be successful in, in, in the Big Ten. And you know, some of that comes down on, on, on personnel. Uh, I think a lot of it does. And, and it uh, ability to execute in, in certain situations. And, and we've seen drop passes. We've seen you know routes not run correctly. We've seen balls overthrown. We've seen balls underthrown. Um, and it, it's tough to win football games when you're seeing those kinds of things. That makes the Vandenberg thing, though, even more perplexing to me because, and you know, I've certainly been critical of him. He, he doesn't look well-suited for this passing attack. But he is well-suited because we've seen it. He can he can throw slants and posts and digs and fades with any of them. He's got a very strong arm, but he seems completely uncomfortable and misses badly on a lot of these perimeter passes. So if that's the case, nine games through the season, it makes it even more puzzling to me as to why you're not seeing maybe one of the other quarterbacks who might be better suited to that approach at least get some snaps. I think one of the reasons we may not be seeing any of those other quarterbacks is the fact that you know every quarterback in this system right now and in the program was not recruited to run this system. They were all brought in here by Ken O'Keefe to run his system and to run his uh, his offense. All of those guys right now are going through the process of, of learning a new system, probably some more successfully than others. Uh, we don't get to see practice on a regular basis, so uh, we, we have no way to verify that other than the fact that, you know, Greg Davis has told us that the guys below Vandenberg are continuing to make progress and learn and develop on a week-by-week basis. Apparently, they're not at a level where they feel comfortable enough with letting that learning continue on, you know, in-game situations on Saturdays. And, and you know, whether Vandenberg has been successful or not, uh, you know, I, I think it's a situation where they just don't feel those guys below them are ready. Uh, but Kirkus has a long history of playing guys and not playing guys until you know he feels like they are, are comfortable 
mobile enough uh, that when they step on that field, they can be successful. Uh, you know, I Iowa has been in a ton of close games this year. I mean, they've they've played five games in, in, in to three points or less, and I think that's uh, uh, you know part of the situation that you have there is is that it just doesn't really prove to be there. There are not many opportunities to to experiment with with somebody, and they they decided early on they weren't going to do the Brad Banks thing as he did in 2001, and and uh, you know provide Brad with a, a series uh, you know or two every game, uh, typically in the first half is what we saw back then before he stepped into that starting role the following year, and uh, they decided they weren't going to do that this year, and, and they're sticking to their guns. Vandenberg did have one of his better games statistically at least, but pick on him two more times and we'll move on to other topics. But probably sure. the most crucial offensive play failure of the day was his decision to try to throw a back shoulder pass into double coverage into the end zone to try to complete a pass to Jordan Cotton, which was picked off, and then a couple of plays later turned into an IU touchdown. Yeah, it was uh, one of those plays that, you know, I think probably the minute uh, he let go of the ball, he knew it was something he shouldn't have done, and, and an extremely costly situation in, in the red zone, and, and uh, you know, Iowa paid for it. I mean, there's no question that, uh, you know, the Marshall stepped up and, and made the play in front of Cotton, and, and you know, Indiana turned around and and, and went on a, an 80-yard march over over seven plays, and, and gave themselves their first lead of the day. And, and you know, it, it was a uh, throw that uh, immediately after the game, Vandenberg was pretty remorseful about making. It was it was a, uh, a situation that a senior quarterback should know better than put himself in. But I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a guy trying to maybe press a little bit and then trying to do a little too much because he, he's well aware that the offense is struggling and, and uh, you know, he's trying to make a play. And it, and it, 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 it backfired big time. Hard to imagine for most Iowa fans probably that the team, their team, actually got out-muscled on the line by Indiana's interior defensive linemen. You mentioned a while back the Plogol and Black had terrific games, and yet Iowa kept trying to run plays right into the strength of Indiana's defense. That that was puzzling, and in fact, Ed Podolak made the comment at one point, and he was actually very critical of Vandenberg, who appeared to be changing into running plays so late in a number of instances that the linemen couldn't even adjust the blocking scheme in time, and, and Podolak felt that that was part of the problem with the lack of success on some of those running plays. Yeah, you could see that uh, from our vantage point as well. We were just actually down the road from, from where Ed was watching. And, you know, it, it's certainly uh, it, it, uh, a little puzzling. You know, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, without question, the strength of that Indiana defense, uh, you know, are those two seniors in, in the middle. And, and uh, Iowa chose to, to take it right at those guys and along, you know, <laughs> against an offensive line that had a, has, you know, a couple of guys who were just kind of breaking in as, as starters. And, you know, that's uh, certainly, you know, <laughs> It wasn't a good matchup. It wasn't necessarily a great matchup a, a year ago for Iowa. Those two guys caused a heck of a lot of trouble, fight the uh, the final score in that game. But they gave Iowa some issues in Iowa City, and, and that continued. Uh, that certainly continued Saturday. But uh, uh, you know, the, the guard, you know, in McMillan and Blythe really had a rough day. And, and when that happens, it, it it makes for a makes for a long afternoon, no question. Yeah, and the result was Iowa was held to under 100 yards rushing for the second time in 
the last three games. It's the first time since Indiana was able to do that since its second game of the season against UMass. One last point on the offense. It was apparent that in the last couple of drives when they needed to come back and sustain some offense and trying to go a bit vertical, which was absolutely critical at that time, it's just, it's hard enough in those circumstances, but it's doubly hard when you're trying to do something you generally haven't done all year long, that is, go vertical. Certainly they haven't had any success doing that. They, uh, they've, they've tried a couple times a game, you know, going back a few weeks, but it, it certainly is not a part of the offense that, is, that they have much polish on at this point. I think uh, the, the one area maybe that has shown some growth the past couple weeks, and it, it's more of an individual type situation, is that Martin Manley is certainly beginning to emerge as, as uh, you know, as the receiver that people thought he might be able to become this season, and, and I think that's just a reflection of maybe his growth within the system and what he's being asked to do, and, and he's been able to, to uh, you know, to really kind of step it up the last probably two, three games now, and, um, you know, he's had back-to-back seven-catch games and that kind of thing, so some, some progress there, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he, he, in order to be a, a successful deep-throwing team on a, on a, on a regular basis, you, you've got to be uh, you've got to be comfortable doing it, and you've got to be capable, and, and right now, I don't think Iowa is comfortable at doing much of anything offensively. Yeah, we talked about yards after catch in last week's shows. You saw Martin Manley do that a couple of times on Saturday, so that's at least promising. And Bullock had an okay game, 107 all-purpose yards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, Damon's going to be a, an excellent back. I, I think it's just a matter of one of getting him totally up to speed. And you know, and it would be interesting to see what he would have done if if the offensive line would have, have stayed intact from what we were seeing a few weeks back, because I mean, the holes that were there for for Wiseman to run through, uh, you know, four or five weeks into the season aren't there right now, and, 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 that, and that's, a, that's a byproduct to the shuffling that went on up there as well. It, it, that's a work in progress, and until those guys get used to playing next to each other and, and get that stuff down, it, it's going to continue to be a little sporadic at times, I'm afraid. More from Steve Batterson after this break. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard! 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet! Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the news and events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times, and listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Brummel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. Back to our conversation with Steve Batterson, who talks Iowa's defense and coaching. It's 
sounds bizarre to say that Iowa's defense played better than it did in the previous two weeks, but you can certainly make a case that it did. It held Indiana to uh, equal to its lowest point total of the season, but they surrendered seven pass plays of 20 yards or more and gave up 406 passing. That's the one thing that really jumps out at you there, and, and you're right, it is a little bizarre, but I, I do th- I agree with you. I think Iowa's defense did play a better football game this past week than it did the previous week at, at Northwestern, and I based some of that on the fact that Indiana's offense is so potent and has put up so many points against everybody on, on you know, in, in every situation, and, and it, you know, putting up 49 on Ohio State, I mean, this is a team that, that has made its reputation this year. They haven't necessarily won a ton of games, but they've been willing to get in a shootout with anybody, and, and they've been capable of doing that, despite, you know, despite starting two, you know, two true freshmen on their offensive line, having really an unstable situation at quarterback with three guys having seen action throughout the season, and, you know, currently they're, they're, they're two-man rotation there, and, and it's it's a little bit of a, a puzzler, but we certainly saw that they've got some playmakers on offense, and that's the one thing that, you know, when you watch to, you know, Cody Latimer or Shane Wynn uh, work, or, you know, even Ted Bowler at tight end was making, you know, some circus-like catches that I think people anticipated maybe C.J. Fedorowicz being able to make this year, uh, but certainly uh, what we saw was was more of an athletic tight end, whereas I think C.J. is a little more of a physical-type uh, beast at that position, and, and uh, two very different uh, players, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the Indiana playmakers made a lot of difference, and, and they put an awful lot of pressure on the Iowa defense, no question. Yeah, we pointed out last week some of the stats surrounding IU's quick-strike offense, but boy, they were on display again last Saturday. They had scoring drives of six and seven plays, each covering 80 yards, and one of four plays covering 61 yards, and the longest of those three scoring drives only took two minutes and 32 seconds. Yeah, they don't waste much time, and, and you know, and I, I got to credit Kevin Wilson with, with, with the way he handled his quarterbacks on Saturday. He, he wasn't pleased at all with what he saw from Cam Kaufman during the first couple of series uh, during the game, so he pulled him. Uh, what happens? He brings in Nate Sudfeld, who was the guy he brought in the previous week following an interception at Illinois, uh, and, and leads them to victory there. Sudfeld comes in and immediately chucks the ball to Christian Kirksey. He did stick with him for a little while. Five series, I think, is how it played out, but one of those things that, that, that evolved was when they got into a two-minute situation at the end of the first half, he put the ball back in Kaufman's hands, and he said, here, go run the offense, and the kid comes out and six plays and 87 yards later, it, it's a 14-10 to 10 game all of a sudden, and Indiana goes into the locker room with a ton of momentum and a quarterback who's very confident in his abilities. He mentioned post-game, Wilson did, about the fact that he didn't want his quarterbacks to be on pins and needles about whether or not making a mistake was going to lead to them finding a spot on the sidelines. And he thought he might have had a little bit of a, a, a too quick of a hook at Illinois the previous week. And, and I think that the confidence he showed in both of those guys Saturday probably served that football team pretty well moving forward because Kaufman came back into the game. He certainly was under control in, in, in the way that they moved down the down the field in, in you know, in really in all three of their touchdown drives. It all ended with, with catches by Latimer that uh, really was impressive. And, and you could see why they put up the kind of numbers that they put up uh, all season long. I mean, if they were a little more experienced in some other areas, they probably wouldn't be sitting at four and five right now. Yeah, it's the third week in a row that an offensive player from the opposing team Iowa faced has been named a Big Ten Player of the Week. One of the problems is that Iowa continues to struggle to put much pressure on opposing quarterbacks, and especially in a game like Saturday, that really increases 
increases the pressure in your defensive back? Oh, it certainly does, no question. It's been a season-long thing. Um, and I think some of that comes from the inexperience that Iowa has up front. Um, and, and really, the uh, you know, I, I thought they did a good job of, of, of trying to negate Indiana's rapid-fire offense with this quick snapping stuff, which doesn't really give a defense much of a chance to adjust at all. By simply sending in line changes up front, and I, I thought they countered that fairly well. Uh, you know, there were there were some mistakes along the way, but but I but it was certainly was probably an effective way for for this Iowa line to kind of come out and compete. You know, Iowa ended up with with six tackles for a loss on on Saturday, which is one less than than an Indiana team that leads the Big Ten in in, in that area. So you know, I, I thought they did a good job of getting into the backfield, maybe creating some problems there. But the, yeah, certainly they're not putting much pressure on quarterbacks, and 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 you're right, it does certainly uh, you know heighten the uh, the level of sensitivity on the back end of the defense and and, and their awareness and, and their their needs there. But uh, but it is what it is right now, and and I think you know it's probably more important from from the Hawkeyes' perspective to to get some of the the technique stuff down you know with some really firm roots moving forward than than maybe it is to get that added extra pressure, which which will come with time and experience. There are some defensive highlights. Kirksey, probably the defensive star of the game, if there was one, the pick six in the first quarter, and then that key fumble recovery to halt a late Indiana drive, and another double-digit tackle game, sixth of the year for Hitchens, and Nico Law started for the first time and played fairly well. Yeah, there were a lot of, lot of individual positives to take from this game. And, you know, Hitchens continues to, to make plays when, when plays present themselves. Uh, you know, he, he's been put in a position where he's, he, he is uh, able to make a lot of plays because teams tend to head, send it his direction because they don't want to deal with they don't want to deal with the guys on the other side and and it, it becomes he becomes kind of the, the natural there to collect the tackles and and you know he's done that and part of that's uh, had something to do with the respect that people have for Kirksey and for James Morris and and I think that uh, there is there is some of that I mean Kirksey probably had what was was as as good of an overall game as, as we've seen him have in some time that certainly is a positive and Hyde on the back end continued to play fairly well and and Nicole Law makes a makes a solid first start for his career and you know he he and Tom Donatel have, have kind of battled back and forth all season long in, in terms of who is, who is going to be the starter at that position and, and uh, you know uh, Nico gave a very good accounting of himself on Saturday no question no matter what else you say though it, it, I imagine Norm Parker and Bill Brazier had a hard time leaving on their TV the last three weeks where an Iowa defense has now surrendered a whopping 1,410 total yards 473 versus IU 433 versus Northwestern and 504 against Penn State. And that's also the worst defensive stretch since 2007. We've mentioned 2007 several times. So last uh, season, Iowa did not go to a bowl game. Yeah, defense wins championships. Uh, how many times have we heard that over the years? But you're right. I mean, the numbers are eye-popping. And the one thing is it's been different areas. I mean, we've seen it through the air with, with Indiana. We saw it on the ground versus Northwestern. Uh, and Penn State, you know, put, put a lot of balls up in the air as well. And, you know, there are issues, and, and people are, are, are moving the ball fairly uh, effectively. And the impetus of a defense is, is, is to keep that opponent out of the end zone, and, and Iowa on Saturday did a fairly decent job of that. You know, the, the one, uh, you know, they, they forced a, a fumble uh, inside the red zone. Um, the Kirksey recovered. They, you know, were able to uh, to extend that, uh, that uh, penalty field drive following the 77-yard pass in the second in the second half that, uh, that eventually left Indiana at the one when they had to settle for a six-yard touchdown pass, but following some 
some flags. But, uh, you know, there are some little victories along the way, and at least some things coaches can point to and, and allow guys to kind of build off of. But, uh, yeah, collectively, I don't think anybody walked out of there feeling very good about their performance. Uh, you know, yeah, especially not on the defensive side of it where you spend about half the day chasing guys, you know, all over the field. I mean, it's, it, those are the kind of yardage numbers that uh, Iowa teams don't typically give up. It certainly, uh, you know, while while you can feel good about holding Indiana to a, to a season low in points, I don't think you can probably feel too good about how easily they moved, they marched up and down. Now, one thing that's been consistent between Parker the first and Parker the second as defensive coordinators is the philosophy, especially the bend but don't break philosophy. This Iowa defense is really susceptible to mobile quarterbacks. That's where they've had the most trouble again this year, and they've got at least two more coming up in Denard Robinson and Taylor Martinez in Nebraska, which probably doesn't bode well. The nature of the position, uh, you know, as you look around the country, I mean, going back to, uh, you know, to Jordan Lynch in the opener against Northern Illinois, I mean, Iowa's seen its share of quarterbacks who, who aren't afraid to scramble around or tuck it and run. I mean, some of them tend to do different things with the ball, and, but uh, they, they have been mobile and they've been elusive, and, and uh, they have given Iowa problems in recent weeks. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Denard Robinson a week from week from Saturday is, is not going to be a picnic for this defense. And, you know, and Taylor Martinez certainly uh, established himself uh, as a pretty effective weapon a uh, long time ago, including in last year's game against Iowa. Link. Uh, yeah, you're. It's going to be a situation where they're going to have to get used to to defending uh, uh, mobile quarterbacks, which have been a, 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 a nemesis of, of, of Parker coach defenses for several years. But um, they're they're going to have to figure it out, or it's going to continue to be a struggle every Saturday. Let's close out here to talk about some of the questionable coaching late in that ball game. Of course, the most controversial was Kirk outthinking himself and changing his mind during the review and punting rather than going for it on fourth and less than one. Right after Iowa's defense had been unable to stop the uh, four previous possessions prior to that play, Indiana had gained 227 yards. So, And it was late in the game. The defense was looking tired. It, it, it's a baffling call. So, to me, in a year when you almost you're to the point now where you have nothing to lose. So why would you be playing that conservatively? Yeah, I I question that one as well. Probably as much as any call I've, I've questioned. And these were first guesses. I think yours was too. Yeah, they weren't I, second I, guessing. No, no, not at all. And, and you know, and, I, and you see, Kirk kind of wrestled with it as well. And think that uh, uh, you know it's one of those situations where Iowa had some momentum. You know, the, the fumble had, had given Iowa possession on on, on its own 19, albeit. I mean, it you know it wasn't like they were they were deep in, in Indiana territory, but, uh, um, you know, they, they, they'd had a takeaway. They got the ball with six minutes left. You're down three. You know, you pick up two on, on first down, and then, you know, you incomplete pass on second down, and then Keenan, Keenan comes up just a few inches short on, on the third down play. And, you know, and Kirk's initial thought was to, you know, to, to line up quickly and, and, and take it right at him and then go for it on fourth down. Well, then they decided to review the, the spot, and so everything came to a screeching halt, uh, and uh, probably the worst thing that happened there was it gave everybody a chance to think, and, 
instead of just react. And, and you know, I, and I think Iowa probably would have been better served in that situation to react. And instead, they, they overthought things and, and, you know, felt like with 443 left on the clock that uh, um, they would allow the defense another opportunity to kind of shut them down. Well, that obviously didn't happen. And, uh, you know, the next time Iowa touched the ball, there was less than a minute left. And, you know, really a, a, a decision that uh, I'm sure, you know, in some respects, Kirk would probably like to have back to at this point. But, you know, it's one of those things going with your instincts. And you're right. I mean, they're at a point in the season where nothing to lose should be kind of the mantra. And, uh, um, I, you know, Iowa didn't play that way. They, they played uh, the typical way that we've seen Kirk Ferentz teams play over 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 past seasons. And and you were talking about five minutes left. but uh, you're, and, and, and an Indiana offense that was either going to one score in about two minutes or else uh, or else give it away and, and which they had you know proven perfectly capable of, of, of going one two three and out as well and but in this situation they were able to kind of to run the clock and and, uh, and really give Iowa no chance to at the end to uh, to make a play to, to win yeah. the game and I think that was compounded at least in my mind and I tweeted that at the time I, I was I was a little baffled about and I haven't seen much written about it but Kirk's use or lack thereof of his timeouts in that last series you know Iowa gets the ball back with, with 18 seconds left on the clock he they had a couple of pictures of him on TV during that time frame where he almost looked befuddled he certainly looked tired yeah I think I think the defense probably was getting a little tired but and, but there were four timeouts called during that during that uh, during that series two by Indiana and two by Iowa and I'm sure he was saving that last one for the final drive but I, I you just uh, it's one of those things that uh, you, you got to get off the field and you know Iowa allowed Indiana uh, the chance to convert on, on, a, on a you know a, a critical third and one situation you know they moved the chains on the second and nine you know and, and it just you know it was a tick 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 type deal that uh, before you know it uh, 443 turned into to a minute and change and, and uh, Iowa was left with really no time to, to do anything once once they did get the ball back at the, on the 20. Any other thoughts you want to add? I'm out of questions. Yeah I mean these last three weeks we, we've seen we've seen Iowa in some very different situations than what we've seen in the past and, and at least in recent times and, and you know they've been losing they've, they've been losing in different ways uh, so the defense has certainly been under the microscope from that you know offensively they've just been an inconsistent football team all season long and, and, and I, you know I, I'm just at the point where I just don't expect that to change I, I, I think you know they'll keep plugging away and they'll keep trying to, to put something together maybe they'll surprise us one of these weeks but uh, right now it, it just looks like they are kind of what they are and, and until things you know improve and that would be you know a little more cohesion up front on a, on on the part of the, the you know the three guys who've been moved around on the line you know a little more cohesion in the passing game certainly and then, you know a little more accuracy from 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 Vandenberg and it's going to continue to be a struggle to put points up and then you know there are certain teams you can play uh, that way and give yourselves a chance I mean in, in Michigan State's a prime example but uh, there are other offenses in this league you just can't do that against and they ran into one of those Saturday I'm pretty tired. Think I'll go home now. Third down and one, and Houston lost it. Iowa's got the football. It's loose, no signal yet. It is Iowa football. Christian Kirksey on the recovery. It is the first time this year that Indiana has lost a fumble, and what a bad time to do it. Awful time. Driving down the field. They get themselves just outside of the red zone. Kirksey with two turnovers in the game. Of course, he had the pick six. 
in the first quarter. Now he has the fumble recovery. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.